Well, tonight I want to focus on this verse that you can find in John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that light, obviously, is Jesus that comes into the darkness. And the Jewish faith for for years now and and even before Jesus, uh, the Jewish faith believed that there was a spark of the divine in all humanity. That, that there is this spark, and a spark is obviously the beginning of fire. It's, it's some sort of light. And, and the Jewish faith believed there's a spark. And then in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, it talks about how God created mankind in his image. And so there's this spark of the divine. There's the image of God in us. And then Jesus promised his followers before he left earth He promised them that there would be the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God would actually come and dwell in them. If they believed in him, if they were his followers, that that the Spirit of God would actually live in them. And, And the interesting thing about that is that manifested itself on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. It says that people literally saw a flame on the followers' head. So his, his followers had this flame, this visible flame on their head. Again, this light. In them, this light that, that was visible for people to see. And, and so when you think about the light that shines into the darkness, that the darkness doesn't go away, it's still there. But but the light it it defeats the darkness. Wherever the light is, you can see. And there, there's hope there, there's joy there, there's peace there. And, and that that light that shines into the darkness can also shine into our lives. It can also, I think the most beautiful part of that, it can shine through us so other people can see that light in us. The first thing that the light gives us is hope. And it gives us hope in the midst of the struggle. And so the hope doesn't take away the struggle of life. I'm not a big fan of insects, but I do like butterflies, and they are technically an insect. But before they become a butterfly, they're a caterpillar. And those aren't very attractive. Maybe you think they are, but I don't think they are. Uh, they're kind of creepy and crawly. And, and then, if you know the story, we all learned it at some point growing up, right, in science class, that these caterpillars then climb up on something, and, and they hook onto it with this, this web stuff, and they create a cocoon around themselves. And that cocoon is really tight, and it's also very strong, and just think how dark it is in that cocoon. I was just thinking about that this week. This caterpillar goes up, spins himself into this cocoon, and there he just waits in the darkness. And at some point, the caterpillar has now turned into a butterfly. And he begins to fight to get out of that cocoon. And, and he fights and fights. And, and if you've ever watched one, we used to get this little butterfly kit when our kids were little, and we'd watch them fight kick and fight, and that thing would shake. And and I just read a few weeks ago that the caterpillar turned butterfly is fighting so hard that it almost dies at some point. The struggle is so difficult to break out of that cocoon that it almost dies in the struggle. But the interesting part is if you went up and you had, you know, this this feeling that, oh, I want to help the butterfly, and you took a little knife and you cut the cocoon and you helped him out. That butterfly would would come out and it would be white. It wouldn't have much color. 
And eventually it would die because it wouldn't have the strength to actually unfold its wings and fly. And the reason is that in the struggle, it actually strengthens itself, its wings, to the point where it can fly. And the other part of it is as it's fighting and struggling, there's chemicals released into the wings of the butterfly that give it its color. It's what makes it beautiful. And in the struggle, that's what gives it strength. That's what makes the butterfly beautiful. And I think so often in our life, we don't want the struggle. We want someone to come along and cut us out, don't we? It let us free from this. But if we look at it that, hey, the struggle is there. We live in a world that there is struggle. And yet the light comes to give us hope in the midst of that struggle. Jesus came to give us hope for this life and also forever. When Jesus was grown and he went to his hometown, he declared Basically, his purpose for coming to earth. And this is what he said. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. You see, Jesus, the light, he came to give us hope. He came to give us hope now and forever. And then Jesus, the light, he came to give us joy. And he came to give us joy even in the midst of the darkness. In Luke chapter 2, Gracie read this just a little bit ago in the Christmas story. And if you remember, the angels came to these shepherds and terrified them, which we would all be terrified if an angel showed up in the middle of the night and, and began talking to you. But this is what it says. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them and said, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy For all people, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. They brought good news of great joy in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the night. You know, Disneyland has done a really good job of of basically making itself known as the happiest place on earth. And most of us that live in Southern California have probably been to Disneyland. And now, we grew up, me and my wife grew up in Kansas. And we moved here about 12 years ago with five kids in tow. And they ranged from second grade, going into second grade, to Gracie going into her freshman year of college. And the church that I went to gave us this amazing gift of a three-day pass to Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, with five kids. And so we, we went to Disneyland... And we went the the night before because we had a three-day pass. We were so excited. And we stayed in this this hotel, and Lisa and I had Sophie, our our younger daughter, sleeping between us because we didn't have quite enough beds, and Sophie doesn't sleep very well. She kicks and elbows and does all kinds of stuff (laughs) in the middle of the night. And you wake up in the morning a little cranky. It's, It's hard not to, but... We woke up the next morning. The kids were bouncing off the walls of the hotel room. They were so excited for Disneyland. And as they're running around, boys start fights. And there's just, you had five kids in a hotel room ready to go to Disneyland. You can imagine. Just use your imagination. And so my wife says, why don't you go get us coffee? And I said, yeah, that's great. I saw a bunch of people down in the lobby. They had Starbucks coffee. I'll go and get us Starbucks coffee. I'll meet you in the lobby. And meanwhile, I'm walking out. She is lecturing all five kids. And the only way a mom can do it and saying, listen, 
we're at Disneyland, and we are going to have fun at Disneyland, because this is the happiest place on earth. And so she's letting them know that, hey, this was a big gift, and we're about to experience Disneyland, so you better be happy, okay? You better have joy in this place. And so she lets them know that, and we make, they make their way down to the lobby. Meanwhile, I'd gone to find Starbucks, and I went walking one way, and it was before apps were super great, and, and Starbucks was way further than I thought. I mean, it was like over a mile walk. So I turned around, and there's a 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven has great coffee. It's advertised right outside. And so I went in 7-Eleven, and I got us a couple coffees. I even put hazelnut creamer in there just so it would be just like Starbucks. And I, I took my 7-Eleven coffees, and I met Lisa in the lobby. And there she is with the kids. They're all excited for Disneyland. And I go to hand her her 7-Eleven coffee. And my wife is, I, I think she's really beautiful, and she has these green eyes. And, but when she gets mad, her green eyes change a little bit. <laughs> And they become more green. And, and she just looked at me with those eyes and said, 7-Eleven coffee? <laughs> oh, man, you know what I'm talking about. You know when you're in trouble with 7-Eleven coffee. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, one of the kids said, Mom, we're supposed to be happy. <laughs> and Disneyland was great. It was great, but just a warning, don't get 7-Eleven coffee when you go there. But here's the thing. Joy is even hard to find at Disneyland. And, and we live in a world where there is darkness, there's sin, there's all kinds of things, and it can steal our joy. Uh, but the Greek word used here in this, in, this, in this by the angels literally is the word kara, and it's best translated not joy, but rejoicing. And that doesn't sound like a big deal, but to me it was a big deal because it's not just like, oh, you have joy now. Jesus came. The light came. No, it's he gave you a reason to rejoice. You see, it now becomes an action. So it sounds more like this. I bring you good news of great rejoicing that will be for all people. He gave us, the light came, and he gave us a reason to rejoice. He gave us a choice. And, you know, now neuroscience, these people that study the brains, they figured out all kinds of stuff that we probably knew, but we didn't really know. And, and neuroscience have figured out that when, when we think and we react and we, we do things throughout the day, that there's, there's chemicals that are released in our brains. And when we have negative things happen, when we think negative thoughts, there's literally toxic chemicals that are released into our brains that can cause us... Uh, to be mentally unhealthy, that can cause us stress, that can eventually make us sick. But the opposite is true. When you think positive thoughts, when you choose to rejoice, then there's chemicals that are released that are good, and they make us healthier, and they make us happier. So when we choose to rejoice, it is good for us mentally. It's good for us physically. And you see, Jesus came to give us this reason to rejoice. The light came into the darkness. So we had a reason to rejoice, and rejoicing can change our lives, even if we don't feel like rejoicing. And the next thing the light did is it brought us peace. And man, just trying to light the candle is difficult for peace, right? It's, it's hard to find peace, in this world. In fact, the definition for peace is freedom from disturbance or noise, harmony or tranquility. Peace is a time with no war. 
That's how we define peace. But the problem is, if you really think about that, that's almost impossible in this world. Freedom from disturbance, freedom or harmony or tranquility in, in this world, it's very difficult. But the thing is, is Jesus didn't come to give us peace. He came to give us something different, and, and the Hebrew word is called shalom. And maybe you've heard that word before. Shalom is different than peace. It's bigger than peace. It's better than peace. It's actually a completeness. And for me, the best way to define shalom compared to our version of peace is that if there's two countries at war and they come to terms of peace, they quit shooting at each other. They quit killing each other. Basically, they quit fighting. But there's still tension there. They may not be at war anymore, but there's still hard feelings. There's still tension. But if two countries are at war and they come to shalom, that changes everything. Because the two countries now will join forces. And they'll have the same enemies. And they'll have the same friends. They will be for each other. You see, shalom is this wholeness and this completeness of peace that's so much better than the peace that we understand. You see, you can have shalom even when there's no peace in the world. Jesus said before he left the earth again, he told his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus told his disciples this and a few chapters later, he tells them all the bad things are going to happen to him. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to die. You're going to, all these terrible things are going to happen. But then he says, but I have peace. I want you to have peace. Why? Because it's not the peace that we're talking about. This is shalom. And shalom is bigger. It's, it's better than peace. And we have shalom because of the light, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can have that peace in our hearts even in the midst of the darkness. I grew up in Kansas, already mentioned that, and so when I, I grew up, we experienced tornadoes a lot. I mean, there was, it seems like every summer, spring, there was some sort of tornado warning, and this sounds weird to California people, but I loved tornadoes. Now, I didn't actually like the tornado itself. I didn't like the destruction of the tornado, so don't get me wrong, but there was an excitement about when there was a tornado warning going off. The siren would go off, and everyone would get all worked up because we don't know where the tornadoes were, much different technology, and... Every time the sirens went off, my family, we would all go to the basement of our house. We'd go into one room of that basement because that's what you're supposed to do. My dad had this little transistor radio he would set up, and we'd listen to the weather, try to figure out where the tornado was. And outside was chaos because tornadoes do terrible things to people and homes and, and all kinds of stuff. But I remember I loved being in the basement. The electricity would go out, it'd be dark, the transistor radio would be playing, and we'd be down there with our family, and it felt, it felt safe. It, it felt like we had peace, even though there was chaos all around us. And I would define that as shalom, because shalom is found in us. It's not found around us. And then this light that gives us hope, that gives us joy, that gives us peace, also gives us love. And love, by far, is the best of all of those. The Bible is very clear about that. 
Again, in 1 John, where it talks about the light that comes into the darkness, it says this, The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I find that so amazing to me that the God that created the world comes into the world and is literally rejected. He comes to bring love to the world and he is met with hatred. And yet he came so that we could be children of God. He gives us that right. In other words, Jesus came, the light came into the darkness so that we'd be worthy of his love. He literally tells us, you are worthy to be called children of God, even when we don't feel worthy. You know, I, I quite often have people say stuff, if I meet them when I'm playing golf or, or doing whatever, and, and they find out that I'm a pastor, it, I usually get the same response as, oh, you don't want me at your, at your church. <laughs> if I walked into your church, it'd be lightning, or it'd be fire. I mean, you don't want me to come to your church. And, and I know they're joking, but, but there is something and I've talked to lots of people that don't like to come to church. And, and they don't like to come to church. Either they just flat out don't believe or they don't feel worthy. And, and some people don't feel worthy because they feel like they're going to be judged by the people inside the church. Or they're going to be judged by the God that we're worshiping in the church. There's this feeling that we don't quite belong. That we're not quite worthy of the love of Jesus. And yet you think about what Jesus did. Jesus left heaven, and he came to earth, and he dwelled among us. The word Emmanuel, you probably heard it, means God among us, God with us. He came to be with us. Why? Because he found us worthy of his love. And so this God came, and he dwelled among us. Why? Because he loves us so much that he did not want to be separated from us for eternity. He wanted to be with us now and forever. <clears throat> One thing we all want in life, I believe, is to be loved. <laughs> we all want to be loved. And, and honestly, we all want to love people. It, it's, it's who we are as humanity. You remember at the very beginning I said God created us in his own image. There's a spark of him. There's, there's a piece of God in us when we say that we're followers of Jesus. We have this, this spark of him. And because of that, love is literally interwoven into who we are as humans. At our very core, we want to love and we want to be loved. In fact, the best moments in life are when we love and we are loved. The best moments, some of our best memories in life. And we all have a story of when we're loved. Of when a moment when love changed the way we think or changed who we are. And my wife, Lisa, has a story that I feel like I want her to share because it's her story. And so, Lisa, would you please come? And I'm going to let Lisa share her story about her experience of love and Jesus. Well, many years ago, when I was 21 and a college student and waiting tables at our local Applebee's. I was also dating a young man that I knew I shouldn't be dating. And 
I found out that I was pregnant. And I'll never forget the morning that I found out. I think um, it has been etched in my memory. Um, the first person that I went to was my sister, and I remember the two of us standing in the bathroom together, staring at that test and those blue lines. And I remember feeling more wide awake than I have ever felt in my entire life. I didn't have too long to um, think about it because I had to be at work that morning. It was a Sunday, and my parents decided to come in um, and sit at one of my tables after church. And I'll never forget just feeling like they would be so disappointed if they knew. And when my shift was over, I went um, to my boyfriend's house to tell him, and it didn't go well. Um, it did not go the way that I hoped it would go. And I went back to my sister sobbing, feeling overwhelmed, feeling terrified. And I wanted more than anything to go to my parents. I just had this deep desire to just go and tell them. And just that feeling that they would make everything okay. And I remember my sister said that that was a bad idea, that um, they were not ready to hear that yet. But um, that longing in me won out, and I got in my car um, and made, started the 20-minute drive to the farm. And while I was driving, there were two emotions that were just warring within me. One was just this, this longing, this need to share it with my parents, and the other was just this deep sense of unworthiness, this um, fear of being rejected, um, of not knowing how they would respond. When I got there, my dad must have seen me pull in the driveway because he came out to the car to meet me, and I'd been sobbing the whole way there, and I was still crying, and when I got out of the car, he just wrapped his arm around me and walked me to the porch and set me down, called my mom out, and the two of them sat down in front of me. And I don't remember what I said, but I do remember that I could not look at them. I just stared at my feet while I told them. And when I finished, it was completely silent. Nobody said anything. And at some point, I finally looked up, and my dad was sitting in front of me with his arms held out, just a look of complete love on his face. And he pulled me onto his lap and hugged me. And I will always feel like God gave me that picture, that moment to remind me, remind us of his love, that we come to him just the longing, the need to be with him, and yet we're often afraid and overwhelmed with unworthiness, but he is waiting there with open arms. I'm not sure how she tells that without crying, because I cry. That picture of her dad. I feel like all of us have been in a place where we need that. We need those open arms of Jesus waiting for us. And he meets us right where we are. 
He's sitting right there. He's just waiting for you to come. And he is the light of the world, the love of the world that came to meet you where you are and to give you hope, to give you joy, to give you peace, and to give you this overwhelming love. What I want us to do right now, the worship team is going to come back up, and we are going to light these candles that you have sitting around you. And as we do that, we're going to imagine that this is the light of Jesus, the light that comes into the darkness. As the worship team gets ready, I'm going to pray for us. As you get your candles ready, let me just pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, my prayer for us tonight is that we would just experience your love. Many of us here, we need those outstretched arms. We need to walk into that embrace. We need to feel that. My prayer is that you would meet us right where we are. Maybe we may not experience it physically, but spiritually, we will see you. We will feel your love. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If we can have the lights down. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to light this one candle, and we're going to start passing it back, even though Kale started. That's okay. <laughs> and your job is to take your light and light the candle of those around you. And we're just going to watch the light as it just spreads throughout the sanctuary.
We all have the light that came into the darkness. And the darkness can never overcome this. And so this is our light. And we can, the light can shine into us. It can also shine through us. We can share our light with everyone we come in contact with. Dear Heavenly Father, as we raise our light tonight, Lord, remind us that this is your light. This is your love, your hope, your joy, your peace. And I pray, Lord, that we would experience that this Christmas. Lord, if there's anyone here that just needs you in a real, overwhelming way, I pray, Lord, you would meet them right where they are. We love you. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, our light. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. And as you carefully blow out your light. Try not to catch anything on fire. And uh, thank you for being here and Merry, Merry Christmas.